0: This podcast is presented by The Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse on education. Visit EdNarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast or our blog. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. And please leave a review to help us grow this community of educators. Welcome to episode 23 of the Ed Narrative podcast. My name is Darren Ralston and I am the producer of this podcast. For this episode, we'll be talking with Lorenzo Dickerson about desegregation of schools in the Albemarle County and Charlottesville area. Lorenzo is a documentary filmmaker and has also started an African American film festival in Charlottesville. Uh, You'll hear a little bit more about that with the introduction that Stephanie gives to our episode. Now one thing about this episode that I do want to talk about before we get into the main body is that um, this one was recorded live in front of Community Middle in Albemarle County Schools. Now Community Middle is a charter school uh, or at least the way that Virginia does charter schools. We have a special system here. And so uh, they have a different way of uh, going about things. They do mastery learning, for example, and um, and the teachers are a little more fluid. They have a lead teacher, Stephanie Passman, who is uh, the woman you'll hear speaking at the beginning. And then uh, the other core area teachers, they're all Uh, licensed and endorsed in different areas, but they uh, tend to switch back and forth quite a bit so that the kids have enough hands-on attention. Anyway, it's a pretty cool place. As far as this episode goes, we decided through talking that uh, it would be cool to do a live episode in front of the kids so that they could see how Uh, the process works um, as far as recording. So we did just that, and uh, the idea was that they would go then and produce their own podcasts and then submit them to the NPR student podcasting competition, which just wrapped up at the end of March. Uh, I'm not sure when those results come back, but, um, but it was good. I got to work with them throughout the whole process as a mentor, um, and it was, it was really nice to uh, be able to sit down with some of those kids. They got a, a unique perspective on things that I can really appreciate. Um, so, anyway, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump in.
1: Good morning, everybody. It might seem a little bit odd that I'm using a microphone. We are not projecting the sound to you all, but we are recording a live podcast here, so everything that our speakers say will be picked up and is being recorded in Audacity right now, which is a program that's also on your computers. I am thrilled to introduce you to our guests for today and tell you a little bit about the project launch that we have assembled for. So we are kicking off a podcast project that's part of the NPR Student Podcast Competition. You'll be learning a lot more about that, but it's important that we all have an understanding of what a podcast is, why we have podcasts, and how they can be used to share information with our whole world. So I'm introducing to you first Darren Ralston. and. Yes. Darren is, first of all, he is an instructional coach here at Albemarle County Schools, so he helps teachers do their work. And he also has a podcast of his own called The Ed Narrative, which is followed by people around the country, also has followers as far as China and Australia. And our podcast that we're creating today will be one of his Ed Narrative podcasts, so who knows who else will be listening after it is published. And then we also are welcoming Lorenzo Dickerson. Lorenzo is also a, um, works for Albemarle County and he is our social media and web content editor. In addition to working for Albemarle County, he is an alum of Albemarle County Schools and his parents and grandparents also uh, went to school in this area and their story of going to um, segregated schools and then the process of uh, desegregation is the topic of a film that he produced called Albemarle's Black Classrooms. He has made a few films, is also a photographer, and um, started (laughs) Town Film Festival about five years ago. So they both come to us with great experience telling stories and making podcasts, and I am going to turn it over to these two gentlemen, and at the end we'll have a time for you all to ask some questions as well. Well,
0: thank you guys for having us. So as uh, as Stephanie said, Lorenzo has been a student of ACPS schools, and so I wanted to start off, Lorenzo, by asking you if you could maybe talk a little bit about your experience here in this district. Uh, like you
2: said, I went to school in Elmar County, um, kindergarten through high school. So I started off at Stone Robinson Elementary School um, when I lived um, in the Keswick area of the county, uh, so kindergarten through third grade, I was at Stone Robinson. My kindergarten teacher actually is still at Stone Robinson, uh, teaching kindergarten. Uh, and then I moved to the western side of the county, which is where my mother's family is from, and went to Meriwether Lewis for fourth grade, Murray for fifth grade. Which is interesting connection to to this school uh, because Murray High School was at that point in the current Murray, Virginia El Murray Elementary School building. Um, then they moved Murray High School here and reopened Murray uh, Elementary as an elementary school. Um, prior to that, Virginia El Murray Elementary School was an all-black elementary school that my mother attended. Uh, so I went there for fifth grade. Uh, first day of school, we didn't have chalkboards. <laughs> we didn't have intercom system because the building was kind of still under construction uh, our teachers would kind of stick their head out of the window and and yell you know hey are we supposed to change classes or supposed to go to lunch because um, no one knew <laughs> um, middle school I went to Henley and then uh, then Western Albemarle I graduated from Western Albemarle in 1999
0: so in regard to your experience as a student and the work you've been doing with the schools and the community around here how do you see those two tying together yeah
2: Um, So I do a lot now of telling stories of African American history and culture, uh, whether it be through photography, uh, filmmaking, whether it be through um, the work that I do in the schools such as this. So a lot of times I'm in and out of all the different schools um, helping um, with this type of history. Um, I first really got interested, became interested in African-American history. One, because I spent a lot of time with grandparents uh, and great-grandparents. And uh, when I was growing up, a lot of the elders were still around. So great-great-aunts and uncles and that type of thing. My uh, The eldest person in my family is still living. She'll be 105 next month. Uh, She's my great-great-aunt. She used to take care of me when I was too young to go to school. Um, (laughs) um, So that was the the beginning of my interests. Uh, But then when I was in fifth grade at Murray Elementary, we had to do a book report. And uh, in the library, there was a book called Extraordinary Black Americans. And uh, I found that book, found it intriguing. It's basically probably 200 different profiles of different African-Americans throughout history, mm-hmm. politicians, sports, a lot mm-hmm. of different stuff. Uh, did that book report, and my father purchased the book for me. I still have the book oh, wow. today. Um, of course, there was no Amazon or anything at that time, so he actually had to like get the the around. ISBN yeah, number yeah. off the back and call the manufacturer to get it and all that type of stuff. So,
0: Was there any one or two
2: things in that book that really hooked you? Um, Matthew Henson. Um, okay. was have been actually been toying with wanting to do a documentary film about him mm-hmm. uh, but Matthew Henson uh, was an African-American man who um, explored the North Pole
0: oh wow okay.
2: um, so a lot of times if you if you if you google him if you, you find a picture of him a lot of time he's got you know this, Really thick coat on with the fur um, looks kind of like a lion's mane type of thing um, because he he explored that that part of the world so that really intrigued me because I've never heard a, a, a story like that and you know growing up never saw an African American in that type of space as an explorer of the North Pole
0: so then taking that that experience of, of finding that book that sparked you mm-hmm. what was the next step
2: I've always been intrigued by storytelling in any classroom setting that i was in right um i was super intrigued by egyptian uh, history um growing up in school um art history when i was in high school as well but i always thought that i would work as a banker um really coming out of school yeah (laughs) that was the only thing that was on my mind basketball and banking um so i played sports and then uh going into college i I uh, majored in management and finance, uh, but then my wife actually was the one when I went back to get my master's that suggested that I focus on marketing because mm-hmm. um, I started to tell these stories through marketing for different companies and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I did. Uh, and actually, the the very first video that I made, I had a, a client of mine, which was a, a car dealership that I was managing digital marketing for, and mm-hmm. they said, "Hey, can you um." can you do a promo video for us? And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do a promo video for you. I had no clue what I was doing. I <laughs> had never done it before, but because I told them that I, sure, I can do this, now I had to go figure it out. Um, and luckily, it, it turned out well.
0: Good,
2: good. <laughs> uh, So I fell in love with filmmaking at that point. And the very first film that I made, uh, we had about 150 people here in Charlottesville um, come to the screening, and that film was made entirely on an iPhone. And that was kind of... By chance, as well. What was that about? That was about um, my family. Basically, what I was doing was uh, I was trying to build out my family tree mm-hmm. as far as I could before I had kids, because I wanted them to be able to see who was who and um, know their ancestry as far as as far back as I could find it. Right. Um, I was living in North Carolina at the time and coming back to Charlottesville like every weekend to do this research, and they could my family couldn't follow the storyline. So I was like, oh, I'll just make a film, and that way they can actually watch it beginning to end. So you're trying fun. to
0: sort it out and make it into a beginning, middle, and end? Exactly. For, okay, gotcha.
2: Yeah. Um, and it, it turned out well, and I've been doing it ever since. Okay, yeah.
0: great. Well, and so let's use that moment to kind of transition into something when we had been communicating back and forth. You had said you were wanting to take a look specifically at 1963 and its importance in the community here and, and schools. And Yeah. Uh, do you want to maybe, uh, I was thinking maybe we could start out on a large scale and get down to Albemarle. What do you think? Sure, sure. Okay, cool. um, 1963.
2: To me, is probably the most important year in American history. Um, a lot of different things are going on nationally as well as locally. Um, so in, in that one year, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. The march on Washington happened with Dr. King. Uh, Dr. King actually visited Charlottesville, visited UVA um, to do a speech here. Um, You had uh, the three little girls, four little girls were bombed in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and the church there. So a lot of different things were happening, and even the Vietnam War as well. Um, But then bringing that here locally, that was the same year that we desegregated schools in Albemarle County. Uh, So 26 students desegregated schools in Albemarle County in three schools um, in that in that one year. So that was the beginning.
0: Can I pause you for a second just to make sure that everybody's aware. So what is segregation?
2: Yes, so prior to 1963 in Albemarle County, black students and white students went to different schools. They um, had black schools, you had white schools. This building that we're in now was an all-black school. Um, my father went to this school when it was Rose Hill Elementary. Um, Rose Hill and Burley were actually built as a part of something called passive resistance. So, in some other areas in Virginia, they had what they call massive resistance, including in Charlottesville City schools, mm-hmm. um, which basically said, okay, we don't want to desegregate our schools. We don't want blacks and whites to go to the same schools. So, in order to not do that, we're, we're willing to close schools altogether um so that we don't have to, to desegregate schools this happened in this in charlesville city for about six months um believe it was prince william county it happened for about three years so if you can imagine going into say the ninth grade then school closing for about three years and you come back to the ninth grade and you're three years older um, but you're still in the same grade um, but in Almar county that didn't happen we didn't have schools never closed in the county but they did have past passive resistance, which basically meant build a new school for African Americans that is more equal to that of white schools, and, the, and blacks won't want to integrate into white schools. Um, so that's how Burley and Rose Hill got built. Um, and <clears throat> it's also why Burley is kind of in an odd space mm-hmm. as far as county schools, because it's technically in the city, um, because Burley had... County kids and city kids, um, some kids from Green County as well came to Burley. Uh, yeah, wow, so, so long, you great. had a lot of lot of different students um, at Burley, and of course, you know, in the long run, Burley became this fantastic place. It was a powerhouse in all sports. Um, you had a lot of great people come out of there, and of course, you know, so many, so many people went went to that school.
0: And they just recently put up a, a monument. In front of the school. Yeah. That. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, but yeah, 1963 was definitely an important year. And like I said, we we only desegregated three schools in the county initially. Um, that was uh, Stone Robinson Elementary, which the students from Rose Hill went to Stone Robinson. Albemarle High School, students from Burley went over to Albemarle. And um, Greenwood School, students from Virginia O. Murray, went to Greenwood School. Greenwood School is still, it's still there. The building is still there. Um, No longer a school, um, but you can still see the building. It's in the
0: community center now?
2: It's right around the corner from the community center. Um, It's on Greenwood Station Road. Okay. Yeah, Um, but yeah, 26 students desegregated. 16 of those 26 came from Rose Hill, came from this building and went to Stone Robinson. Uh, Another two went into Stone Robinson as first-time students. They no kindergarten at that time. You went straight to first grade. Uh, You had three students that went from Virginia L. Murray to Greenwood, and then another five went from Burley to to Albemarle High School. Um, So that was the beginning. We didn't fully desegregate until 1966. And granted, what you have to understand is that the Brown versus Board of Education federal court case that stated that segregation was illegal happened in 1954. But we didn't start to desegregate our schools until nine years later in
0: 1963. So you had said that some of your family had, I mean, your family is from the area here, and some of your family had attended some of those schools. Do you have any stories or anything that you might be able to relate of, maybe a family experience or something like that? Mm -hmm.
2: So my mother went to Virginia O'Murray that was all black at the time, uh, my father went here, and then in 64, he went. He was like the second group of students that went to Stone Robinson. Um, parents of the students at the time, each year they were fighting to get their students integrated into the school. So they did this in 63. They were from the county office building to the school and back and forth. Um, because what happened is there was this thing called the Pupil Placement Board, okay. uh, which Virginia created. Basically, that's why you only have 26 students in a grade. In the city, you had 12 initially, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like this mass desegregation where mm-hmm. everyone starts um, because the pupil placement board kind of regulated that, mm-hmm. and it forced you to have to apply in order to go to a desegregated school. Uh, so you had to fill out this paperwork. Um, So the parents at the time had this experience of going back and forth. They were kind of given the runaround of, Mm -hmm. no, we don't have the paperwork here. You have to go to the county office. No, we don't have the paperwork here. You got to go back to the school. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the the main things for them, if you can imagine students living in Keswick, Sismont area, Mm -hmm. the bus is taking them all the way past. On Robinson to come all, all the way the here, yeah, yeah, to come all the way here to Rose Hill, and it just didn't make sense mm-hmm. for them. As far as my grandparents, my grandparents grew up maybe two miles away from one another, which most people did during that time. Right, um, and they went to one of the seven Rosenwald schools mm-hmm. in this area. So, initially, right after slavery, eighteen sixty-five, the two things that African Americans were looking to do were to create their own churches and to create their own schools because they weren't able to be educated prior to that. It was illegal. Um, So a lot of times, even now, when you go to an African-American church out in the the rural parts of the county, you'll see the church and then you'll see an older building next door. And you might might be curious about what that building was or is, Um, typically it was a school. Um, The schools were built right next door. A lot of times they had the same Mm -hmm. name. So on my grandparents' case, on my father's side, um, they went to St. John Rosenwald School, which is right next door to St. John Church.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: It's the only Rosenwald School that's still standing. Um, Right now, they're working to turn it into a community center. Is it preserved? Like if you were to walk in, you could kind of get a feel? You can. You can. At one point, one of the alumni turned it, uh, who has since passed, turned it into a house. He lived in it. Um, So he put up two additional partitions because it was just two rooms. Mm -hmm. I believe now it's four, Um, but otherwise it looks the same. You can see the spot where the old potbelly stove used to be. Mm -hmm. You can see all of that. It looks, the outside looks the same. Um, But, yeah, they met there. And the the deal with Rosenwald schools was that the initial schools that African-Americans built for themselves, they looked more like a a one-room shack, right? No running water, no windows at all. Um, But Booker T. Washington worked with uh, Julius Rosenwald, who was the president of Sears and Roebuck at the time. And um, basically, they created the Rosenwald Fund, which basically worked to create better schools for Um, African-Americans. Two-room schools, lots of windows, lots of natural light like we have in this room here. Um, You still didn't have running water, um, but you did have heat. Um, You did have a way to cook lunch and breakfast for students, that type of thing. And that's the the building that that stands today. Um, So the county would put in a portion of the money. The Rosenwald Fund would put in a portion of that money, um, and the people of that Particular community, yeah. They would put it, and then the people of the community would build the school themselves. And then later, of course, the Rosenwald Fund ended up funding um, James Baldwin and Langston Hughes and a lot of these African American artists all over the country in their works.
0: Cool. So, could you maybe uh, do you have an idea of what a standard day at the Rosenwald School would be like, like from arrival to dismissal? Yeah. Uh,
2: In the morning, so if it was wintertime like it is now, um the male student who lived closest, either the oldest or the one that lived closest to the school, his responsibility was to go to the school before everyone else in the morning and get the stove going to get the, the building warm. Interesting thing is that they used to pour motor oil on the floors what? of these buildings to keep them slick, keep the dust down. And that type of thing.
0: Flammable, yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you All turned,
2: right. a lot of times, like, you know, a student would come in, get the fire going, have the motor wheel there, and then would leave and go <laughs> like home, God. you know, for another half an hour before he come back to school. And when he comes back to school, the, the floor is smoking. He's got to turn it, <laughs> <Yeah. the, laughs> yeah. turn the stove down a bit before he burns the building down. Um, and the girls would help make breakfast or lunch um for students which typically was like a large pot of soup um with fat back meat and, and that type of thing uh in there and all the students were in one room so grades one through eight they're all in one room the second room in this rosenwald school was the teacher's room that's where her desk was really and was it just the one teacher for the school typically yeah just one teacher um which is interesting because we we talk about uh, multi-age spaces, right? Right. Yeah. In the county. We're starting yeah. to get those. Yeah, okay. um, but of course, back then, because of necessity, they've always done that. So, where do you <laughs> go after you're making
0: the uh, making the soup?
2: Or um, the... Yeah. So, I mean, they had typical subjects that 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 we have now, and like I said, everyone everyone would be. In the same room, but it was mm-hmm. a benefit because the younger kids were were learning from the older kids um, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If you went to the bathroom, you went out to an old Johnny house, like a porta potty type of um, bathroom, which was outside, you know, in the field behind the building. Um, the boys went, and then the girls would go, and, and so they would all go. You know, at one time, um, they played. They all walked to school. There was no bus to take it to the school, um, and sometimes you had to walk pretty far because mm-hmm. you know schools were few
0: and, and far between but yeah you know typical school day yeah. so then what about post elementary because you said it went to eighth grade so what what yeah. happens once you pass the eighth grade
2: past the eighth grade you, if if you just you went to high school because right. everyone everyone didn't some went to a trade school or just went to work and went back to the farm and did stuff there. right um if you went to high school you went to albemarle training school in the county, or you went to Esmont High School. Um, so Albemarle Training School was located on Hydraulic Road, right past where Albemarle High School is mm-hmm. now. There's like a, a real estate company there now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of box hedges there, and they're right on the street. And if you look under there, there's kind of a, a headstone that, that commemorates where the school oh, was. Okay. Um, so you would go there. And when you got there, that's where uh, Mary Carr Greer was she was at Albemarle Training School?
0: We got a school um, named after her,
2: exactly. Uh, Mary Carr Greer was one of the preeminent African American educators um, in this area. Her and Virginia o. Murray, Virginia o. Murray was the superintendent of the black schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Carr Greer. She grew up on Riverview Farm, which is now the Ivy Creek natural area. That was her father's farm. Um, quite a few African-American teachers. Jesse Salmon's mothers lived mm-hmm. right in that, in that hydraulic area um, at the time. So, yeah, you would go there. Then When you got to Albemarle Training School, you then you also took French um, and, and some other subjects. Was it always the,
0: French? That was, the- it was Yeah,
2: it was always French. Um, no others, yeah. <laughs> That's and interesting. that went up to 11th grade. Um, So you either went there or you went to Esmond High School, which Esmond High School was where B.F. Yancey is now, in the same spot there. Um, But when Burley opened up in 1951, Albemarle Training School, Esmond High School, and Jefferson School consolidated into, into Burley. Okay. So my grandmother, who went to the Rosenwald School, went to Albemarle Training School. And then was the first graduating
0: class at Burley. So, about how big were the graduating classes? Uh, let's say Esmond, and then, you know, once you get to Burley, like right. sort of looking at that as a big picture. Yeah. Graduating class at Burley
2: would have been about 50 students. Okay. Um, so, was looking. that consistent through its,
0: <clears throat> what was it, 18 years that it was? Running? Yeah, about 18 years,
2: yeah, yeah until um, 67. Okay. Um, yeah, that was pretty consistent, pretty okay. consistent. So, you know, fewer than that at, at my training and then even fewer at, at my high because okay. that was like a, a a much smaller school there.
0: So maybe let's take a few moments to think about post-desegregation uh, sort of leading into where we are now. Like, How would you say transitioning from those, those first, what was it, pupil placements? Yes. Um, into where we are now, if you if you can maybe cover that a little bit. I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but <laughs> it, you know just to touch on it. Yeah,
2: yeah. So like I said, it took us <clears throat> what sixty three through sixty six to to fully desegregate our schools, mm-hmm. and you know from that moment up until today the real question for me at least is you know how much have we changed or not changed you mm-hmm. know where has the progress been or not been um like i mentioned before um myself being in the fourth grade at, at mary weather lewis mm-hmm. um and then going to fifth grade at murray when they reopened it which most people don't even know that virginia murray was all black school mm-hmm. um, at one point uh But during that year, so that would have been around 1990, 91, um, when I was in fifth grade, when they redistricted um, Mm -hmm. to send students from Meriwether to Murray, um, that line where the cutoff was is Route 250. Right. Um, All the African-Americans in that area live on the other side of... To for Route 250 on Morgantown Road. Okay. Um, so when that happened, really, all the African-Americans went from Meriwether Lewis to Murray um, Elementary. And when I was in the fifth grade, there were only two African-Americans in the fifth grade, myself and a first cousin of mine. Mm-hmm. When I went back to Murray for their fifth grade graduation in 2016, there was one African-American um, in the fifth grade. The daughter of I was my just cousin. Ask <laughs> <it>. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, um, that was with me. Um, so you know, you just have to think about what classrooms look like today, mm-hmm. and are they any different than they were in the
0: nineties, or where they are they any different than they were in the sixties? Mm-hmm. I mean, what would you say, like uh, drawing out some conclusions? You you asked the question about how how it's progressed, but where would you say you have seen some progress? Um.
2: Progress really is that we're paying greater attention, like we're, we're especially right now, we're in this time in the, in the county schools where we're paying a lot greater attention to different things, um, mm-hmm. especially culturally responsive teaching, right. Um, yeah. so you know, they're doing a lot of that at Western, mm-hmm. uh, at Western Alma now, but then we're just we're also paying greater attention to the history, uh, our own history in the county schools and what that means and um, uncovering the history, Mm -hmm. right? So, uh, even in, we've identified all 26 of those students that Mm -hmm. integrated schools Mm -hmm. in 63, um, and we'll be erecting three historic markers um, commemorating those students, uh, which would be um, in May. Do you know where those are going? They're going at um, Albemarle High School, Stone Robinson, and... The third one will be at the Greenwood Community Center, okay. uh, which we'll talk about the Greenwood School, right. yeah, which yeah. is yeah right around the corner. Um, so yeah, we're paying a lot. You know, you know, we've the 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 county has been uh, working on the anti-racism policy as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so yeah, we just we're becoming more aware, and you know, we have to really build that awareness first before we can kind of change directions and and make some changes.
0: So with that in mind uh, you said it's important to, to look back at the history and to recognize it. Why why would you say that's important? What does that do for us?
2: Yeah, um, one, so we don't repeat the history. Um, Fair enough. Definitely. Um, but then also the, so we can understand the experiences of the students because because of this this generational history and the storytelling, mm-hmm. um, you have African-American students today that would be in the school system that they still have that history of grandparents or great-grandparents mm-hmm. um, because they're taught about this history. They right, yeah. know what their parent or great or grandparent mm-hmm. went through. Um, so they're coming, these students are coming into the schools with their own ideas. Um, mm-hmm. They're coming into the schools with these inherited experiences mm-hmm. um so understanding <coughs> the, the students um but not just the student for today but you know the students um and the generational experiences that they mm-hmm. have um you know and these parents grandparents great-grandparents these also may be the people that are coming in and out of our schools to interact with teachers and administrators um yeah. and they have their own experiences as so well. then
0: would you say that um sometimes you might hear a story like you know where where Grandma is like. Well, I know about that school. They're like this and stuff like that. And then there's,
2: yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, even for myself. You know, my my high school, Western Elmont, mm-hmm. has its own reputation. Um, I'm fully aware that. It has a reputation now, the same reputation that it had when I was there. Yeah. Right. Um, so in that Ivy Crozet area, you have a lot of African Americans that are my age that are not staying mm-hmm. in that part in of the, the county, because um, yeah. of their own, their, their own experiences. Mm-hmm. So they're sending their schools to other parts of the county or, mm-hmm. or elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the cousin of mine um, that, I, that I
0: mentioned that was the only, mm-hmm. right, in mm-hmm. 2016, she no longer goes to Albemarle County Schools. Mm. So uh, we're getting close to time. I want to make sure that if there's something that I overlooked that you wanted to maybe bring up or talk about, that I throw it back to you, give you a chance if there's anything that you want to add. Wow, let me think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, take a second. Take a breather.
2: Um, covered it pretty, pretty well as far as, you know, the the old schools, you know, the time period, you know, um,
0: and how we've, you know, brought this to, to the present day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then um, one of the other things I wanted to do before we give uh, give the kids an opportunity to ask us some questions mm-hmm. um, is I wanted to maybe close up a little bit since you've been working pretty heavily in media with your documentary work and your photography and then you've been working for the county doing social media and media relations. Um, you told us how you got hooked into kind of following it. How What might you tell these future podcasters? Um, The main thing that I would say is tell stories that are important to
2: you. Um, I know myself, like like I said, I started off telling stories that are important to me and I still do that now, but there have been times where I've kind of gotten off of that path and wanted to go tell this story because it seemed like it would be good at the time, but it's not necessarily something that I'm... Um, invested yeah. in mm-hmm. that well. But if you're telling stories that, that are important to you, they're going to come out so much better, um, for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, what uh, what do you look for in a story when, you, when you're like, I got it, right? Like, you've got the, the hooks into it. Yeah. Um, when I'm telling a story,
2: really, I'm looking for people. Okay. Who's really... Like, I'm, I'm really the way that i'm telling these documentary, showing these documentary films is really i'm partnering with those who have lived that experience Mm -hmm. um themselves so when i'm when i'm working with the people who are kind of telling the story on camera um what is that relationship like Mm -hmm. um how to how are we you know really working together and 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 that type of thing and a lot of what i do is telling local stories Mm -hmm. local stories and that's really how a lot of the films have come about is because i had some type of personal connection to them um like i said i did a, a film on burley's football team from 1956 which was undefeated and unscored upon for a whole season and that got started because, one, I would hear all these stories about right. Burley. Um, Isn't
0: that the team where people were just like, let's just go to the Burley game because they're the good ones? Yes,
2: yes. And it didn't matter who else was playing. Right. Time. UVA was really bad at the time. <laughs> um, the Burley students wanted to play um, UVA mm-hmm. um, really like they bad. were they were trying to get UVA to play them? Yeah. They, the Burley students wanted it. The players did. But their coach, um, Coach Smith, uh, was telling them, we're not going to do that because you're really good, but those college players are way bigger and you're going to get hurt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would I would hear these stories all the time about oh, Burley was so great. I didn't know the details at the time, mm-hmm. um, but then one day I was in my father's driveway
0: mm-hmm.
2: and all the guys from the community all right are there and, started they're, talking. and they're just talking like yeah. barbershop talk type of thing yeah, yeah, yeah. so they're telling me and they bring it up and i'm like okay we've i've got to tell that yeah, story back up, Wait, tell me that yeah. That. <laughs> yeah nice yeah those are good
0: moments um so all right we're we're at about time now and i think um it i mean i'm gonna pass it back to uh to the kids here if you're ready sure sure and um We'll get some questions if you guys have any questions. You don't have to stand up or anything. You can just fire them our general direction. Yeah. Well, what was,
2: who was your um, kindergarten teacher? Uh, Miss Spicer. Her last name is changed now because she's gotten married. So I believe when she taught me, she was probably like in her early 20s or mid-20s. But she's been at Stone Robinson ever since. Um, she's at, still over there now? Yeah, she's still there now. I didn't know she was there. When I moved back here and started working in the school system, I was there filming with um, Mr. Brandon Reedus, who oh, his... Yeah. I actually
0: r- just talked with him. And, uh, oh, yeah? He- <laughs> <laughs>
2: his room was right next door to hers, and she happened to come in to give him a book back that she had borrowed. And I'm like, Miss Spicer. She's like, Lorenzo. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Great. You did? Hey, That's look at that. We got That's a connection.
0: <laughs> yeah? Um, when you went to Murray, was it desegregated? Yeah, it was desegregated. That was 1990 when I went. Yeah, yeah. How well, long have you two been doing podcasting? Um, well, I've been doing podcasting for about two and a half years now. Um, I don't know. Have you... Have you been doing podcasting?
2: Um, I've um, done a couple over the last couple of years. I did one with the Virginia Film Festival and then one with Burley Middle School.
0: Yeah. So your, your your experience has been more on the guest end? Yeah. I, I do a lot of the editing. I'm actually going to be in with you guys some through the process of, uh, of your production, too. So You had a question? Um,
1: this is kind of a comment. My grandma told me that she lived up here near uh, Burley. Oh, yeah?
2: Four. Four in the last five years and I have three coming out this year I was between say you had
0: four out, but you had more in the hopper when we were talking earlier. Yeah,
2: I've got three that'll be out between now and July. Yeah.
0: Um, have you gone to any of those early games?
2: Burley games? No, that was before my time. Uh, when they had when they had those games And They would the the field that Burley played on Growing up, I always thought it was this field right here Mm -hmm. um, with the hills. It was actually what's the baseball field directly behind the building. Um, That's where they played. And then sometimes they played at Lane High School because Lane had lights. Where was Lane? Um, County office building. That's the one that was the county office And the field was the big parking lot in the
0: baseball field. So now that's where the cars are. Yeah. 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 Uh, this is the first time we have worked together I actually um, for me I have done uh, I you can see I've got like a traveling set right um, so I can take this anywhere I, I go um, I have done this in conference halls with people I've, you can also do them over the internet there's a couple of uh, things like zoom or Google um, hangouts where you can where you can podcast from long distance um, so and then I've also used the uh, audio studio in uh, Monticello high School so um, so I've done a lot of that and um, but I switch around with uh, with folks and I like to talk with people with different experiences like like Lorenzo is saying if, you know he likes to get an idea for the people and and what their stories are so um, so that's that's how I work so yeah um, do you have
2: Yeah, um, I have one called Birdland, which comes out uh February twenty eighth at Central Library downtown. Um, that one is about the bird family, which is one particular side of my family who were enslaved in Albemarle County, and then directly after emancipation they pulled their money together, a bunch of siblings did, and they purchased a lot of land right next to the former plantation. Um, and then over time that land got passed down, so the people still live there. My father still lives right there. The Rosenwald
0: School is still right there in that same is street. Is that land called, that whole land, is it called Birdland? Or is no. that just what, like a nickname? Yeah, it's
2: just a title. Um, They were enslaved at a place called Castle Hill. Um, oh, okay. okay. Which a lot of people go there now for cider. And, yeah. Um, so Keswick yeah. Vineyards is right there mm-hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, that, that comes out at the end of the month. Um, Deliverance will be out in July, which is about Henry Box Brown. Um, does everyone know who Henry Box Brown is? No? Yeah? Uh, he in a box to escape, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So he, he want to ship himself? Shipped himself to Philadelphia. He was a slave in Louisa County.
0: Oh my God. Um, Shipped himself to
2: Philadelphia in to free <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then Third Street will come out this summer, which is about the formerly segregated interests at the
0: Paramount Theater now when these come out where where do people go to see them how, how can how, like if they want to see one of these documentaries how are they going to get to see yeah. it um like i said
2: birdland will be at central library and then it'll probably be online okay um deliverance will be at the mappetown film festival in july okay. which is free um so that's in july three three days of events third um, street will premiere at the paramount okay and then most of the time, these films, once I finish them, they'll go to they go to PBS. You got a busy well, schedule. So.
0: <laughs> Do we have any more questions from somebody who hasn't asked one yet? Yes. Me. Um, so I started out uh, like Stephanie said. I was um, I'm an instructional coach, right? I've worked in the district here, and uh, I was working over at Monticello with a group of English teachers who wanted to introduce. A different way of doing research and papers and we got a grant and I realized I was in teaching kids how to do podcasting and I had never done one so I was like I probably ought to fix that so I started doing some podcasts and I liked it it's a good way to sit down and have an uninterrupted conversation with somebody because, right? I mean, think about how many times you talk with your friends, and they're just like, oh, oh, oh yeah, man. Oh, look, I just got a text from so-and-so. Right, And that's that's not the way it generally works when you're in the podcast chairs. You can kind of have a focused conversation, and it's nice to be able to do that. So that's how I got into it. I got hooked on that, especially that, that part of it. Yes. What's the name of this podcast? This one uh, I run it under the title the Ed Narrative because I mostly focus on education um, and stories related to education, and so that's where the narrative part, the Ed part for education, and narrative for the storytelling part. Yeah, you'll have right now. This will be let's see, this will be the twenty first or twenty second episode, um, and if you go to theednarrative.com, dot com, you'll you'll be able to find it. I also run a blog. All right, do we have any uh, any last questions here? We got we got time for one more before we uh, turn it back over to uh, Steph. Go for it. Uh, well, if I did look this up, when would
1: it be like online?
0: So uh, that's a good question. Actually, what we're doing is, as this is part of your kickoff, right, Um, I'm going to be producing this as you guys are producing yours. So I'll be bringing in some things here and there. I'll show you some of the edits. Like right now, what what we've got here is what I would call my uh, rough cut, because it's, it's, or I guess my raw cut, because it's just as is. It's what we've got recorded, right? Um, But what I'll do is I'll do a rough edit, which is an intermediary one before I get to the final, Um, taking stuff out that maybe doesn't need to be there like you know if somebody's coughing or or you know we take a side trip on some topic Um, and you guys will get to see a couple different stages of the production here Um, and then I'll also um, add in which will be the final cut an introduction which is just me in one microphone and a conclusion which is also just me in one microphone just kind of saying and so that's our uh, That's our podcast, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Please uh, come back and check us out for the next episode, which will be blah, blah, blah. So that'll that'll be the process. So you'll actually get to check in during the process of producing this. So it's not going to go up right now. We're not live on on the Internet, but um, it'll go up in a couple weeks as you guys are working. That's a good question. Thanks. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap up with your question. Uh, some of it is, actually. So I might uh, I might uh, just uh, come in and say, you know, there were a couple questions about this thing and then edit it together. Part of the reason I wanted to have us do a and a with you guys is because I know that after you've sat in here with us for a half hour, there are going to be some things you're wondering about, and I wanted to have you guys get a, get a chance to ask about it. So but thank you all for, uh, for uh, being here with us today. We appreciate the opportunity.
1: All right. Thank you all so much. I learned a tremendous amount about schools in our area and podcasting, and having known both of you for a while, I learned a whole lot more about you so I'm really thankful for your time and our audience did an incredible job so thank you for um, being here and we look forward to using everything that we've learned here for our NPR student podcast project which we will continue to talk more about.
0: Once again thank you to Community Middle for hosting us for that conversation. Uh, it was good to be able to talk to Lorenzo, so thanks to him. I want to point out that uh, the Town Film Festival is this summer. It's in July. Uh, it is July 13th through 15th at the Jefferson School African American Heritage Center. And the theme is Aware of the Evidence, and they're going to cover the history of black film. Uh, they'll also talk about local Charlottesville history. There will be films on that black women in suburbia, African-American art, the history of Pullman Porters, 20th century slavery, and more, so definitely go and check that out this summer. As far as getting in touch with The Ed Narrative, uh, we have a website, theednarrative.com, and there is a contact page. We also have a blog link, and I've started work on a student podcasting resource page um i'm not 100 percent happy with it but if you want to get in there you can see some basics on using audacity with your kids so check it out if you're interested i'm probably going to try and develop that some more this summer if i have time which is a pretty iffy proposition because i will be and this is big news uh, i will be moving to berlin germany to teach at the jfk school so um, that will be a big change. I will still be doing the podcast. I'm going to have to try and figure out the logistics of that since, um, since it might be a little bit harder to do some of the conversations. I can imagine uh, doing online conversations, you, you might get a bit of a lag. So um, anyways, you guys wish me luck and I'll catch you later. Bye.